Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. The Bible Bistro. <laughs> yes. It's a podcast. You <laughs> all your... about the Bible, theology, and things pertaining to the Christian life. Yeah. You missed... what all things pertaining to the Christian yeah, well, life. I've never said pertaining. That seems oh. more of a your, you word. <laughs> what do you say? It's a podcast all, things all about, about, about. All things uh, about. It's a podcast all about the Bible, Bible theology, theology, and... All things about the Christian. I don't, I don't know. know. Now you've messed me up. <laughs> I used to be able to say that like a butter. Well, and now I can't help that. Anyway, <laughs> you can. <laughs> anyway, but so we're. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. So yes. it's another day here in the Bistro. Yeah, we're here we, together again, which yeah. is nice. Yes, it is. We've had a wonderful breakfast this yeah. morning. Thanks to our wait staff. <laughs> Someone's going to think that we're disparaging my wife she's, at some point, but we're not. I, I would never, and she's wonderful. She made a great breakfast for me. I'm just saying the fact that you call her the wait staff, and you I, called her the wait staff. You started this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we had a wonderful breakfast. Lots of coffee. Less coffee today than yesterday. Some water. That is true. So we'll be a little, <laughs> a little toned down. It's not working so far. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're back in the bistro. We've yeah. had two. Uh, we recorded a couple episodes yeah. previously. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, when then well, whenever weeks ago, weeks right. ago, uh, we we wrapped up looking at Isaiah a little bit, yeah. And then our last one was all about Revelation, Revelation one hundred forty four thousand, yeah. yeah. So we had two episodes about we talked about this is going to be a, a virgin free <laughs> whatever. Because listen to the other two episodes, you'll yeah, get the joke. you'll get it. But anyway, the um, yeah. So this was not that about that. I, you know, I was thinking we talked about karaoke last time, though. So what's your go? I have a question for you, and this is unrehearsed. I, yes. I know normally we rehearse things, right? But <laughs> yeah, uh huh. What's my go-to karaoke song? Yeah, what's your go-to? Uh, Joy to the world. Joy the, to the world. The, the um, three dog night. The version. girl. Not, okay. Yes. Jeremiah, yes. Jeremiah not, was a bullfrog. Not joy to the world. <laughs> Not well. Depends on where you're doing karaoke, I guess. So, well, what's yeah. yours? Well, I, 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 uh, you know, I need to find one. But, but my problem is, you, you're of course trained musically, and you have a much broader. Uh, I'm sure you have your Just get to it. Your range we is much higher. Don't so, set this up. Just so get I to have it. to. I have to find something that fits within my range. So probably Sweet Caroline. Oh, Sweet Caroline. But I really need to find because everybody does Sweet Caroline. I but if you do Sweet Caroline, different. I mean, that's a crowd pleaser. Oh, it's everybody, a crowd pleaser. Everybody, everybody gets joins in. It. Yeah, that's covers, true. It covers up your voice. That helps. <laughs> I have a, st- well, never mind. I want to show that story. Okay. I was jumping around once singing Joy to the World, and I was at a place that had a train track around the top. They had a train that ran around. <laughs> right. I was jumping pretty high, feeling pretty good about myself, and then my you- noggin hit the train track. <laughs> And this, I only can assume this very expensive train fell down. And the guy came and picked it up and looked at me like it was like a, and the manager a limp body. You know, like, what have you done? And they canceled oh, karaoke at this facility. Oh, are you kidding? Oh. <laughs> and you're to blame. Well, yeah, there's there's okay. plenty of reasons. Anyway, All right. that's karaoke story, but we're back in yeah. the show. We're actually going to talk about theology today. Yeah. Not theology, but the Well, the a body. theological topic. Yeah, yeah, So this but, is a but, question. But before we get started, okay. if you're enjoying the podcast, yeah. you can join us on Patreon. You can get some Bible Bistro swag, coffee cup, t-shirt. You can yeah. find the link for that on our website, The Bible Bistro, or in the show notes. Show notes, for those of you who don't know... If you go on your Apple podcast, you click on the episode, click on it a couple times, and you'll see like stuff we've written, and there's right. a link in there that says support the bistro. Yeah, and and if, 
And we're on YouTube. YouTube. There's a link in there on YouTube. You yeah. can watch us on YouTube yeah. for all our wardrobe changes and our smiling faces. Right. And so... <laughs> <laughs> And share if if, if yes. you like this episode or some other episodes been helpful to you. Share it with others. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. So today, Brian, tell us what we're talking about. We're talking about baptism. So this is one that have we've had lots so, since the beginning. What episode is this now? Seventy six. Seventy six. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And and they said we never last, but. <laughs> From the very beginning, really, this is a question, a topic that people have suggested we talk about. It's it's the topic of baptism. Mm -hmm. Uh, We come from a tradition, you and I, we talk talk about the restoration movement sometimes, and you'll see that on our website. And one of the distinctives, I would say, of the restoration movement is we have a somewhat different view of baptism than, than some other Christians do. And so we've had people ask yeah, about I don't that. Want, I don't want to say about like too wild, no, 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 like no. crazy different. No, but just although, you know, accusations are thrown sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we're going to talk about baptism because, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting topic. And yeah. you and I have been reading some other material where it's like um, about how baptism was used, yeah, uh, sure. uh, how it was viewed in the 1500s. And, you know, we've right. read early church documents, like how right. does this all work together? And yeah. because it seems, I mean, there's importance in it in the New Testament. Sure. And so we thought it'd be a good topic to to yeah. chat about. And I'll say the way I approach things theologically, there's different ways you can do it. And this is this sometimes is accounts for some of the differences you see in understandings of particular topics uh but you know rather than going immediately to the early church fathers my my the way i do things the way i've been trained and and kind of my preference is to go first to scripture and kind of see what we can glean from scripture about these topics now sometimes it's a little difficult because there are thoughts and there's teaching about it and then becomes tradition and develops in this way and so that's why again you see sometimes these differences i think it's a it's a big part of it but we're going to look basically at four passages and there's lots of others we could talk about we're going to mention a few other passages Uh, i say this is another reason you might have different views on baptism is depending on what passages you go to first Mm -hmm. but we're going to look at basically four passages, um, one in the book of Acts, and then um, the other three are in, um, in or no, I'm sorry, two in Paul, and then one in, in First Peter, <clears throat> all dealing with the idea or the issue of baptism and, and what it means. And uh, so... Uh, we'll, we'll start there and see what uh, see what that <laughs> see what happens. See what happens you know, so. Let the accusations fly. I, I think a couple of things. First of all, when we talk about baptism, what do you what do you think would be Aaron when when somebody hears the word baptism? What do you think that they typically think of? Um, water, like okay. I mean, like yeah. in a church, or like I mean, you had the phrases like baptism by fire, which sure. means like you're being tested out by fire right. or like you're doused in it. Yeah, but when when we use it just, you know, and again, we, we can talk about metaphorical uses of words, but at its base, and here's one of the issues, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, baptism and, and the word to baptize, let's go with the verb to baptize, is, a, a, a and I'm going to say this very carefully, it's transliterated from the Greek. Now, there's a difference between translating a word and transliterating a word. Okay. When, we, when we translate a word, and that's the way most, that's the way we handle most things in, in the Bible. Again, we understand New Testament was originally, for the most part, written in Greek, a few Aramaic phrases, but for the most part, New Testament was written in Greek. And what we have is a Greek word, baptizo, 
And if you listen to that, you can hear the word baptize in it, right? Baptizo. Mm -hmm. Rather than that word being translated in most of our translations, there are a few exceptions here, but but rather than that being translated into an equivalent meaning in, in English or any other receptor language, we've taken that word and we've kind of made it into a theological term. Mm. And we've just transliterated it. In other words, we've taken the Greek letters, and in English, we've changed them into English letters. So we end mm. up with the word baptize, right? So baptizo gotcha. becomes baptize. But baptizo in the original, in, in Greek, would have had a meaning. And I think we have to start there. The The idea of baptizo, as best as I understand it, and this is from, you know, you can look at several word study books if you want to um, um, look at this. We've talked about the Blue Letter Bible before. You can oh, yeah. look at it and look at some of the word study books that are there you can really to, to try to understand the meaning of this word in the original context a good thing to do is read other accounts even outside of the new testament that use this word in different contexts to try to understand what uh, what concept or i the meaning that's being gotten across and, and as best as i can understand it the word baptizo means to plunge or we often will use the term to immerse to dip plunge or immerse in it in its original it didn't have a connotation uh, of um anything else any other use of water like sprinkling or uh, things like pouring uh, mm -hmm. which are some forms in which baptism is practiced today so that's why i started with that idea what do you think most people think of when they hear the word baptize uh, or baptism uh, depend depends on who you talk to. That's what I was going to say. And, and here's where our, our own context can determine these things. Because if you grew up in a church that maybe the, the common form uh, for what you would call baptism was to sprinkle, uh, then then that's what you would think of when you hear the word baptism. Hmm. Uh, but again, we're trying to go back to the, to, the, to the Bible. The problem is in the New Testament, again, instead of translating it as dip or to plunge, we've simply transliterated it. And that kind of leaves it open still for interpretation, for, for, for the meaning that you would insert because of your cultural context or your, and when I say cultural, I mean, your, you know, what, what church group or what, what, what you grew up with, essentially. Let me ask a question on that real quick. Sure. What do you think that is? Why did we transliterate that? Was it because <laughs> when it was translated, like there was already these other, there was kind of like there were these other practices that were already in place yeah. and they were trying to short smooth it? I think the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, the, Brian. The longer answer would be, I I think that it, it'll, it makes any translation more... Um, I want to say the more broadly appealing to different church groups, and I'm talking in a modern context now. Mm -hmm. uh, in a modern context, if you were to translate it as something like immerse, then then there would be entire groups of Christians who 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 wouldn't want what that church translation. Right, right. now, it, it's interesting. So you'd have like the NIV immersion version, and then you did an NIV <laughs> sprinkle, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll be frank, you know, it was pretty early on. If you look at, and again, I, I, I've already given you my bias. I tend to look at the scripture first. And, and again, I'm a trained New Testament person. And so I look at the language and I look at the way that the language is used in other contemporary literature. That's the way I was trained. That's kind of my, uh, you know, what do they say? If, if, uh, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Well, that's, <laughs> yep. That's, that's exactly how, right. That's yeah. how I, that's how I approach this. Cause that's the tools that I, you know, that I have been taught, um, relatively early, in, in early Christian writings, we see some variety coming in, and part of it was out of necessity. Um, there's a, a fairly famous early passage about baptism that, that seems to still prefer immersion, but says, if that much water is not available, then there are other 
other options and this kind of thing. And so, so very early there seemed to be other means by which uh, baptism takes place. Uh, I'm um, ministering to a group of Christians right now who are part of the Mennonite tradition, mm-hmm. and the Mennonites, um, many of them will pour. Uh, which means that they they will they will pour water over over someone's heads. Now, if you look back at when that began, is it began in a context of persecution in Germany when the Lutherans, you know, they were they it began as the Anabaptist. In other words, the, they baptized again. So mm-hmm. so Lutherans at this period of time in Germany baptized infants, and we'll get back to this in just a minute because that was the other thing I was going to yeah. I was going to talk about, but. Um, uh, they would persecute those who would baptize people as adults. And, and so you couldn't go down to the river or you couldn't do this in public. And so in homes, this is before bathtubs or whatever. So people would literally pouring, they would lay on the floor and they would take a pitcher of water and they would, as best they could, completely cover them. Uh, and, and so again, this, but here, here's what I would say is even in those, those contexts, this was not seen as, you know, the preferred method. It was, um, Immersion was the preferred. Yeah, and it was it was then. This is this is how I would say it began. Is it, is there are other forms of baptism that were allowed, and then those then became more the norm, even in situations where immersion could take place. Mm-hmm. So so that's how I'll, I'll begin this whole discussion, and that's probably pretty controversial for some people already. But but that's how I understand this word, and and you need to understand when I'm talking about baptism, what I'm imagining is immersion. I think there's two of these passages that we'll look at today that give us a sense. Uh, of the word being used in that way, though. I think when we look at it within its literary context as well, we'll see a, a reference that seems to indicate this as well. I also want to talk about this idea, and, and I've chosen these four passages, again, one in the book of Acts, and, and of course, baptism is mentioned frequently in the book of Acts, and it's a good study. It may mm-hmm. be something we do on another podcast if there's enough interest or questions on this, but there are several examples of baptism that we find in the book of Acts um, that are worth looking at to see what what happens there there are some baptisms that take place in the gospels okay mm-hmm. and there's some references to baptism that take right. place in the gospels i haven't looked at any of those some of them might be worth talking about but one of those would be for example the baptism of jesus and people will point to that and they'll say well one of the reasons we should be baptized is because of christ's example because jesus did this uh, his comment to john the baptist when john the baptist says uh, I need to be baptized by you. He says, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, here's what I want to make clear. And the book of Acts even makes a reference to this specifically. There's a difference between the baptism that took place in John's John the Baptist context and what we would call Christian baptism from the time we get to the book of Acts and after. And and essentially what, what I would see the difference is John was calling people to repentance. And here's the thing that a lot of people kind of go, you know, kind of, what? yeah, give yeah. us one of those, uh-huh. those looks when we start talking about, but e- even in Judaism during this period of time to immerse oneself in water was a relatively common practice. Hmm. Uh, it was a part of the ritual cool. cleansing. The, and we've talked about coming to the temple before. Uh, I talked about when we talked about archaeological discoveries, we have the pool of Bethzatha and the pool that was mentioned in John chapter five. We have the pool of uh, Siloam. And both of those seem to be uh, what are called in, in Hebrew mikvah, which are ceremonial stepped pools that people would, would step down into the water until they were completely immersed. Mm-hmm. And that was the way that the pool was designed. Uh, and they would do that before they came into Jerusalem for the 
for the festivals. Mm-hmm. Jesus makes a reference to this in the upper room in the Gospel of John to Peter when Peter says, you know, after he says, I'm going to wash your feet, he says, oh, wash, wash all of me. He said, those who've already bathed, and he's talking about that idea of ritually bathing before you come into in, into to the uh, for Passover in that case. Um, there are other communities, the Qumran community, for example, we've talked about in, conne- in connection with the Dead Sea Scrolls during this period right. of time. There are many smaller mikvah, uh, mikvahot is the plural, but there are these smaller ritual baths that they had, and, and there's some indication within their community rule that they would um, immerse themselves daily or, or even maybe multiple times a day as a part of the ceremonial cleansing. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in, we're going to look, I think, in, in next week or a couple of weeks at John chapter 3, and there's an idea there where John the Baptist, some of his disciples talked to him about uh, the ceremonial cleansing of the Jews and these kind of practices. So what, when John begins to baptize, here's, here's what I want you to understand. He was not doing something that people went, what? You know, this is, we've never seen anything like this. This was, it was common visually. Yes. It, yeah. There were these, these baths and these, they were, they were made for that purpose. In fact, I'll remind me, and I'll say something in Acts two about this. These ritual baths in Jerusalem and other places were made for this very purpose of immersing oneself in water for, for the purpose of ceremonial cleansing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before you participated in temple worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so when John called people, now the interesting thing though, is he calls them out from Jerusalem. Away from the temple. Right. That's one of the differences that we see. He's baptizing people in the Jordan. Now, I will say, even the rabbinic sources, even the writings of the rabbis during this period of time said that you should use We've talked about this before, moving water or, or right. the term is living water, right? Mm-hmm. So he's calling people out to the Jordan River and he's he's baptizing them there in the Jordan River. Um, in fact, we even think we now archaeologically know the the site. Probably there's a cave there and it seems like this was the traditional site where the people from a long time ago have understood that John the Baptist did this. But he said he was calling people to a repentance. Right? He was calling people to turn away from um, their sinful practices and to renew their uh, their desire to do what what God's calling. So it's a baptism for repentance is what what John the Baptist was calling people to, and that's why I think when Jesus came out to be baptized by him, he's like, you know, well, I need to be baptized by you. You're a, you're the sinless one, kind mm-hmm. of the the idea. And you know, what do you need to repent for? I'm I'm a sinful person connected to you. You know. Yeah, and and traditionally though, like in those cleansing, it was an individual by themselves, wasn't it? Like, they would they would immerse themselves rather yeah, so, than submitting so John, themselves. So John right. even calling them out and him baptizing him was baptizing. there was some they understood true. the idea of cleansing with water, but point. having someone participate with them. With you, you're submitting yourself uh, into yeah into another's. Uh, person baptizing you—that's mm-hmm. a good point. We're, but, we're, but the cleansing piece, of, like, sure. yeah. But but so John's yeah. is a little bit different. Besides just yeah. cleansing for the temple for the festivals, yeah. this was for repentance. Now, here's what I'm tr- trying to get to though: is is when Jesus submitted himself to that practice, I think it is different than what he is calling people to do. In, in Matthew 28, for example, when he says to his disciples, go and and into all nations and teach them to obey everything I've, I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, what, we would, what I would refer to as Christian baptism mm-hmm. is different, I would say, than, than the baptism 
for repentance. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, and we'll we'll come to that hopefully in just a minute. Okay. But that's that's what I want us to think about. Now, when we think about baptism, we've already talked we've already kind of given this a little bit. There's two parts to this. There's form, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this idea of immersion, uh, sprinkling, pouring, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. There's also form in the sense of there are some groups that will baptize. We 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 differentiate sometimes between what we call believers' baptism and the fancy theological term I'll, I'll give you is <laughs> mm-hmm. is pedo baptism or uh, a, a child being baptized. And, and I think when we look through these passages, we'll understand where where that comes from as well. But in the book of Acts, typically we see adults being baptized, although. You have this jailer, the Philippian jailer, you might remember, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he and it says and his whole household are baptized that night, and this causes some people to say, well, there could have been children. It's kind of an argument from mm-hmm. silence. Mm-hmm. It says his whole household, which wouldn't necessarily indicate that he had small children. It would uh, for someone could of have been his extended family, well, and even even household slaves, or you know, they're, yeah. they're, in the first century, the household would be all those living in mm-hmm. that place. It could be you know father, mother, you know that that kind of thing. But um, anyway, so so this idea of one of the questions we have to answer is the believer's baptism or, or child baptism. Again, I want to get into the scriptures and see what, what, what they seem to indicate and tell you why I think what I do. But now here's the other question that we have to kind of deal with, and that is what is the purpose of baptism? Mm-hmm. And where I was going with the beginning in the Restoration Movement, sometimes the emphasis that is placed on baptism for salvation is what we would say, submitting oneself to baptism for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is um, that emphasis is sometimes criticized because mm-hmm. it's it's seen as um, you that know the water's saving you or or, or um, you know that the, you know sometimes um, yeah water regenerationist or yeah there's some kind of some kind of um, you know something in in, in the um, yeah there's something <laughs> beyond God's grace in Christ that that's that's happening there that's right. the criticism that's offered again I don't necessarily think it's a valid criticism uh, I think well and we'll talk about this as we get to it anyway questions <laughs> questions or comments on that or no we've been talking a long time and I haven't even gotten to the scripture yet so yeah so and I think yes I mean that's one of the I think that's one of the things like you and I talked about I think wanted to have this conversation is what yeah. is the purpose like because I think it's um Having grown up in that in that tradition, and then sure. also examining it for myself, it's you know what what place do we see it in the life of the believer? You know, right. I've met people where it's like, oh, I accepted Christ twenty years ago, and right. I just decided to be baptized. And like for me, I'm kind of going, well, right. I, what, yeah, you just, and what and what role does it play in the life sure. of a believer? The pattern the pattern in the Book of Acts, and this is one of you know, Book of Acts is a big book for for our group. And again, you can emphasize certain yeah. scriptures, but uh, the the pattern seems to be. Philippian jailer. It says specifically in that particular account. I didn't plan to look at this, but it says specifically in that account, he was baptized at the, he and his household at that very hour, right? And and again, baptism is usually seen to be something that's done immediately. Um, Philippian jailer uh, was that chapter eight of the book of Acts. I can't remember. I didn't plan to do this. <laughs> I'm not forcing you. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> we'll, we'll, again, we'll, we probably should come back and talk about the book of the examples of baptism, of the book of Acts, another time. But the Philippian jailer, or the Philippian jailer, the Ethiopian eunuch that's mm-hmm. mentioned, and Philip's uh, led by the Spirit to go and to join him. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's a God-fearing um, person, a Gentile, probably. He's Ethiopian, but he is um, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and he asked Philip, is this is he talking about himself or someone else? And um, you know, Philip says he's he's talking about Jesus, and he tells mm-hmm. him the good news, and 
pretty soon we have somewhere in that conversation of him sharing the gospel with him. The Ethiopian eunuch says, as they're driving along in, in his chariot, here's water. What, you know, what's going to keep me from being baptized? And they immediately go down and Philip baptizes him, you know, right there on the spot. Yep. It seems to be something that's done, you know, to, to yeah. just to answer that question. Again, the pattern in the New Testament. And I've said before, maybe this will even help make clear what I mean when I say this. I've said before that we, when we talked about the importance of the Bible very early on, you know, 70 some episodes ago, <laughs> yeah. um, the importance of the Bible for us is that we consider it our standard, a uh, rule of faith and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what we would say is our beliefs are based on scripture, not on later writings or these kind of things. And, and our practices are what we can see and what we can determine from as, as best as we can from the practices of the early church. And, and that's why the book of Acts becomes a, an important, important part of it. Yeah. So let's look at the book of Acts. And, I, and I'm only going to look at Acts chapter 2. That's the one I planned on. This is a, a, a kind of a foundational text for us, and I thought it would be a good place to begin. This is the day of Pentecost, mm-hmm. and uh, so so Which this is, is fifty days after, after the after yeah. the uh, uh, crucifixion of Jesus after well after Passover, and so we're talking forty seven forty eight days after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, if he was with them teaching about the kingdom of God for forty days, we're talking probably about ten days before Jesus' ascension into heaven. Mm-hmm. That's talked about in the beginning of Acts chapter one. You might remember yep. that he, he ascended into heaven. Matthew twenty eight records it. Uh, Acts chapter one records Jesus ascending into heaven, telling his disciples, "Wait in Jerusalem until I send." this gift to you basically. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> Acts chapter two is the day of Pentecost. And, uh, uh, we find that, um, uh, Peter and the other apostles are gathered together in an upper room, uh, worshiping in some, some context, it seems it says a rushing mighty wind came in uh, tongues of fire. All these we understand to be visible symbols of the Holy spirit, uh, mm-hmm. that God had promised through Christ that Jesus had promised would, would come. And so um, <clears throat> this <laughs> sound, and then uh, as the apostles begin to speak in various tongues, as the, the Holy Spirit is giving them the ability, it draws many people to see what's happening. And so there's this large crowd of people, apparently, that come to hear this. And so Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches this sermon, and we call it often the first gospel sermon, Pentecost. When we celebrate it today as Christians, Pentecost Sunday, we understand to be the beginnings of the church. Um, and so this becomes kind of the birth of this um, of this church that, that Jesus had promised and that he'd, he'd, he'd come to, to bring. So after this sermon... Um, in verse 36 of chapter 2, I wanted to start here. Peter gets down kind of to the to the very nitty-gritty of this. He's been talking about Jesus has been, uh, you know, he is the one that God had promised. He used all these Old Testament scriptures to show this. And then he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah. So, you know, this is kind of the the the. And this is in Jerusalem. He's coming yeah, right at the right yeah. at the Jews. That this is, and again, you know, we're talking fifty days after the crucifixion. We're talking, you know, uh, ten days after the ascension. He says, you know, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, you know, a month and a half ago or a month and a week ago. He has made him both Lord and Messiah. And so, 
at verse 37, the response is, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Um, so the idea is that their their consciences were affected by this. They understood that they, you know, uh, the way I often will teach this is I say, um, um, you know, Jesus, you crucified Jesus and God has made him Lord in Christ. Where does that put you in relation to God? <laughs> and so, right. so they Not rec- in a good spot. Right. They recognize their need. And so they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've, we find ourselves in a place apart from God. We're, we're on the wrong side of this equation. Right. What should we do? Mm-hmm. And, and so Peter's answer then becomes a very important one. Peter's response is repent, which is not unlike what we saw with, um, uh, with John the calling people to calling people to repent. And, and it's this idea of turning away. Metanoia is this idea of changing your mind, changing your behavior. Repent. Metamorphosis. That's where you get the word metamorphosis. Not Maybe. exactly, but well, okay. I tried to jump it's a cha- It's a change I of jumped mind. the shark. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that word is the word that's usually translated transformation, but We'll talk about that another time, maybe. But anyway, be therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's okay. Gotcha. I just went all King James there. But but anyway, metanoia, this idea of repentance. So he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that's the difference between John's baptism, right, and and Christian baptism. This is a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about, I think, what the significance is, particularly when we get to the book of Romans. We'll talk about this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, mm-hmm. and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and again, what I would understand, how I would understand this, and there's a little bit of debate on the grammar here, but let's leave that aside for the moment. How I would understand this is that the reason that they are being called to, to be baptized is for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are two things that happen in connection with water baptism. Now, <clears throat> it, when you talk about this idea of, of the water saving you, this mm-hmm. this kind of thing, what we understand, what I would understand at least, I'll put it, I won't add anybody else to this, what I would understand is what saves us is the the blood of Jesus is is his his death his his mm-hmm. as we've talked about when we talked about atonement mm-hmm. Jesus atoning sacrifice on our behalf is what we need in order to receive salvation baptism I would understand as the means that God has given mm-hmm. you know, Jesus commanded it in Matthew chapter twenty eight uh, we see again I think the Holy Spirit involved in this process here in, in Peter's sermon and. And it is the it is the means by which we respond to to what God has done in Christ, and we make that effective in our life. That's how I would understand this. And there's lots of ways. There's lots of words that are used, and and we can, and even even the ones I've used can be misinterpreted, misunderstood. But it is not the act of baptism that saves. It is that it is it is that we are responding in in the God given way in baptism. That's the way that God has given us to respond. In, in, in order in in giving us to respond to his gift in Christ and it is that that death and the grace that comes as a result of that that saves if mm-hmm. that makes sense now you might say well that's that's a fine point but yeah but it's a fine point um, no <laughs> yeah. no I think that's yes I you know I've, I've had conversation with someone I said you know I'm from the Christian church and it was 
I'm like, do you know anything about the Christian church? Well, you know, believe the water saves you. I'm like, well, no. Right. <laughs> Christ right. saves, but like, exactly. you know, this is something into it. Do you see, and I'm just asking, because we've been, we've been in Revelation quite a bit. Is there yeah. any parallel to this? You know, we see the washing and uh, those that have been washed their garments in the blood it, of it, the lamb. In some ways we could see this. And, and I, I think in the past I've heard, you know, revival preachers used to make a big deal about this. This is the way to respond. We have Jesus even making this... Um, parable about the wedding feast and and mm-hmm. making sure that you have the proper garments and those who didn't have the garments are cast and in outside. Revelation it talks about garments that have been washed, washed in, the in the blood, blood. right? Mm-hmm. And and I think there's there's probably I know often say this. I think there's a parallel here. I don't know that that it's an exact direct connection. It's a direct connection, but I think it is a parallel um, sentiment. And all I'm saying is that it seems like, and this is this is a big deal for me. It seems like that baptism is the God-given way to respond to to this. Now, <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the questions I have is, you know, and this has always felt like there's seems to be two camps, especially in the immersion. Sure. Like it's um, it's a famous phrase, outward sign of an inward change. Right. Or right. like for us, we'd say like, well, there's something spiritual happening. Something here. happens. Something I, happens, and, and that's why we, you know become it made is made effective. Something like that. Um, we'll get to the outward sign of inward change maybe a little bit later when we get to to the book of First Peter if we get that far today. <laughs> but but anyway, the the uh, yeah, and and I and I understand it's 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 a difficult thing, but we almost always. I want to say this. Almost any any Christian is going to say there's some way in which we're called to respond in faith, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a famous <laughs> and, and not, again, not to kind of make apples and oranges, but uh, some people will talk about the sinner's prayer. You know, that mm-hmm. there's this prayer that you need to pray if if you know if and uh, ask Jesus into your heart, whatever. And and you know, I've heard some pretty high-profile preachers and theologians recently questioning that. Where, where do we find that? And I think that's where what our group has always said, that, you know, I can't find any biblical basis for that. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be this image that we have in on the day of Pentecost. The, the day very, the church begins. The very first begin, you know, the beginning of this, where where people are asked, what should we do? And the response that's given is baptism. And, and so I think we, we point baptism to that. Baptism for forgiveness of sins. For forgiveness of sins and the to receive the gift of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes on and it says this, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this isn't just today kind of thing, Peter says. This is something that is being established that will be generational, that will go on. Right. This isn't just a today thing. This is something that is to continue on past Yeah. for all. And then let me go on. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded, save yourself from this corrupt generation. In other words, come out, be separate from, from this generation. Mm-hmm. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is, again, the beginning of the church. These 3,000 respond in baptism to the message that Peter had given. Uh, some people talk about that number. And this is where I was going to go with that idea of you know, where could they be baptized. Well, that's there were these purpose-made pools for for immersion that were there in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And, and so there would have been plenty of water. There had been plenty of places for them within very close distance of where they were to, 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 to be baptized. To be baptized. And so I think the apostles on that day, you know, begin this practice as again, Jesus had commanded them just before his ascension, as we see in, in Matthew twenty eight. And then it continues. So Paul understands that a part of the preaching of the gospel is when the Philippian jailer, 
you know, says, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? Then that's the response there. When Philip preaches the gospel, apparently includes water baptism because the Ethiopian eunuch, when he's ready to respond and understanding that Isaiah is talking about Jesus, who is the Christ, when he's ready to respond, he does so in baptism. And we could go on through the rest of the examples there. The first, the Cornelius's household which is a little controversial, and we'll get to maybe another day if we talk about it in Acts. But in Cornelius's household, <laughs> Peter's response there is kind of funny. Is there anything we can do to prevent them from being baptized, right? And, yeah. and so the Gentiles are, are baptized, you know, in 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 Acts ten, and so we find that pattern kind of then throughout the book, rest of the book of Acts. You start to get the idea of why why Paul got so or Saul at the time fired sure. up, you know, like the Sanhedrin is so fired up is they're seeing these symbols that had been for them about purity, like right. somewhat turned on their head a little bit. Yeah, with a different. I, I would say did not turn on their head, but a given different, a different focus. Yeah, given a different purpose. And, and, and focus, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. So um, let's go to this next one, the Colossians. I, and I find this one a, a compelling passage. Um, when you know, it's one of these that takes a little bit of thought, but uh, I find it very compelling when we start to think about this um, this idea of baptism. Um, <laughs> Colossians is a <laughs> it's a pretty heady book in a lot of different ways. Uh, we, we'd spent a lot of time on Ephesians recently, and there's lots of connections here. But it's talking here about the identity of Jesus at the beginning of this passage and who he is. And, and Paul kind of pretty naturally goes in into another part of this. And so I kind of want to walk you through this a little bit at a time. Uh, verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, <laughs> Even here is a pretty important concept, uh, this idea that Christ took on flesh, but he is fully God, as we've said before, fully human. Go back mm-hmm. and refer to our Jesus episode if you want to hear about that. Uh, and, and, and so all the fullness, and we talked about in Ephesians, this idea of fullness is an important concept, same as Colossians. Paul's writing these, I think, at the same time, these two letters. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Some of your translations say Godhead there, by the way, instead of deity. But he is the head, Christ, over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised. Okay. Christ, you know, in in Christ, you were also circumcised. And and here's where we have to think about circumcision before we Mm -hmm. go too much further. Uh, And and I want to remind everybody, Paul is a trained rabbinic, a Pharisaic rabbi. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he was trained in, trained by one of the greatest uh, Pharisees of his day, Gamaliel, uh, according to his own testimony from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Um, and, and so here's this guy who who is a Pharisaic rabbi talking about circumcision. Now, circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh and the foreskin. Uh, just, you know, I, is, yeah, well, you know, ask your mother if you don't understand that, but um, or your father. Father! But, <laughs> Anyway, anyway. That, that's what circumcision is for those who, and most of you guys understand this. Most of our, our listeners can understand that well. Um, what what would you say is the function that circumcision had for um, the, the, the Pharisaic, Pharisaic Jews of the day? How would they have understood circumcision? It was to define who was part of 
is the Jewish people part of the people of yeah, God? Yeah. yeah, it was it was an identity. It was mm-hmm. what it, when it's first given back in the book of Genesis, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's called a sign of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So this this agreement that God had made with His people. Uh, with his family, I guess, first of all, with, with a- Abraham's family, this was to be a sign of of their covenant relationship. And, it, it you know, there's, we could talk about it a lot. It's kind of a weird thing, I guess, if you really think about it. But but it it, it relates to the reproductive uh, process of, of this family that God is saying, you know, I'm kind of in charge of this from now on. And he shows it in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it's not the oldest son that becomes the one through whom mm-hmm. the promise continues, but it's the it's the younger son. Um, if I want a 97-year-old 90, woman to have a baby, she'll have a baby. You know, the, mm-hmm. basically God shows throughout the rest of that story in a number of different ways that he is directing this family, that he he is the one uh, who's made this agreement, made this promise, and he's going to bring it about in the way that he wants, not in human terms, but in a way that's very much centered on his his work and his purpose. And, and so I think that's why the sign in the uh, you know related to reproduction is 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 a part of this. But it's it's saying you're identified with a covenant. Now, I mentioned Pharisaic rabbi because there were certain groups of Jews in the first century that were sympathetic to the Greek worldview who would go so far as to reverse their circumcisions. They saw it as a uh, as a mutilation of the flesh, and mm-hmm. Paul refers to this in some of his other letters and different things. Um, so, some of those who were trying to accommodate themselves to the leaders, to the rulers yeah. uh, of the, of that time, didn't see circumcision as that important. But the Pharisees was this group who were very much committed to keeping the law as we see it referred to. You know the, the the commandments. We we're very strict about the way that we make sure that we we see these things. Right. And, and so circumcision for them was an important deal. It was a part of the way that you identified yourself as the, as the covenant community of God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now Paul takes circumcision then, and, and we're going to see he uses it metaphorically, which already already is kind of becoming clear, because he says in Christ you were also circumcised, and. Um, you know, when I'm talking about this, kind of trying to be funny, I'll say, you know, he's saying, you remember when you're circumcised? And they're all kind of like, uh, I think I would have remembered when that happened, Paul. <laughs> I don't recall Jesus circumcising me. me. Right. Mm-hmm. So here, here's what it says. In him, you were also circumcised. But then he goes on and says, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So here he's talking about the difference between physical circumcision and a spiritual circumcision, mm-hmm. a, a cutting away, a spiritual cutting away of the flesh, right, mm-hmm. and, and and an identification of yourself with with God's promise, with God's covenant, right. Mm-hmm. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. So mm-hmm. the cutting off of the yeah. flesh, your your whole self by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And then he says this, he uses, this is a, a, a participial phrase here, having been buried with him in baptism. So we could, I could say it this way, uh, when you were circumcised by Christ, namely in having buried with him in baptism. So Paul here compares baptism to a circumcision. And again, I, I go through all that as, with him as a Pharisaic rabbi to say, he's saying this is a pretty serious issue. Mm-hmm. This is the practice 
just like circumcision for for the Jewish people, this is a practice by which we uh, are identifying ourselves with the covenant promise that God has made. New covenant, I would say, the the, mm-hmm. the covenant of Jesus' blood. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a way that we're identifying ourselves as people who are in that agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a, it's a circumcision. I will sometimes when I when I deal with this and I'm talking to somebody who's kind of antagonistic toward the importance of baptism. And I don't get that a lot, but occasionally, I'll say I'll say something to the effect: <clears throat> No more than Paul could imagine an uncircumcised Jew. Right. He 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 wouldn't have imagined that. I think he would have a hard time imagining an unbaptized Christian. You know, a baptism mm-hmm. is a part of your identification with this covenant promise. The way I would understand. Yeah. This. Do you do you see? Uh, I'm just thinking about this. Like, you know, circumcision had a much. Uh, was it to identify yourself to another? You know, like a physical circumcision to another Jew. Was it that way, or was it about a, a about your vertical orientation to God? You, I would say now here. Yeah. Yes. This is my answer. You're identifying yourself as a part of this covenant community. Mm-hmm. And as a community, you have a connection. And I've talked about this before. I think one of the problems we have in North America of really trying to put ourselves in the place of this scripture is we are very individualistic people. So we would ask a question like that, right? Well, I'm, I'm no. asking that question because I, I think a that's question. A, I think it's because I think sometimes, and this is my, my opinion, we, it get reduces down to that. It's just mm-hmm. it's a show for someone else. Well. Uh, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, but here's here's my point is as an as individuals often we're asking this question about, you know, about my me, me. right? And, and 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 so I'm saying you're identifying yourself as a part of this community of of Christ followers. It even happens at the beginning, right? Pentecost isn't it's not Peter being baptized, mm-hmm. right? It is it is 3000. It is a community, mm-hmm. the the beginning of a community. Uh, the other thing I'll say with this is, you know, I think baptism is best, <laughs> and again, this is this is. I want to. I want to be careful here. It, it is a community activity too, mm-hmm. and that's why I think a lot of times it's it's good. It's it's not. I'm not trying to disqualify any kind of a baptism that takes place in in, in, private. in private or anything like that, but it is it is primarily something that's done within the community and and with response from the community to the person as well, right? Yeah, and and I think I I think that's all. Again, it's all a picture of what this is about. But we become a part of the covenant community, and the covenant community as a whole are those who are relying upon these promises that God has made real in Christ. Okay. Yeah. So there's a horizontal and vertical. Piece. I think so, and that's why I answered with yeah. yes. I think it's hard to. I think <laughs> well, it's hard to separate. Well, I that. just think that you know, as I think back to those Old Testament times, you know, sure. was it you know, it's was an identifier to each other, but you know, was it also to remind them of the, yeah. the covenant community? Now, now here's where covenant we get with God. In, into another problem. This is what I thought your problem was going to be: is is circumcision <laughs> took place according to the law. On the eighth day. On the eighth day as a child. Right. And so does this lead us toward a pedo baptism? And there's child there's, baptism, yeah. there's some who've used this very passage to talk about infant baptism. You know, this is something that should be performed on a child very young. Uh, interestingly enough, and I'd just like to point this out, is, is I want to make it more complex even than what people think it is, because it's not just the outward form, but but there are different reasons different churches baptize infants. <laughs> 
believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So if you're a part of a Presbyterian church, your baptism of an infant is going to be different than in the Roman Catholic church, for example. There's mm-hmm. different reasons, different things you think that are happening in connection with that, just to make it even more difficult. But if you, <laughs> if you look here a little bit further... I hadn't finished reading this. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. We'll talk about this idea of being buried and being raised a little bit later. But that's a part of the image of baptism that I think points toward immersion. And we'll we'll come to that in Romans 6. Uh, In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So you see the connection here of this act with faith with belief. And and again, there seems to be in in the book of Acts, there seems to be a connection between a faith response, you know, in other words, saying I'm trusting myself to God and then showing that, you know, in in the way that God has given us in order to, to, I don't know, actualize that to make it effective in this, in this act. We are, we're submitting ourselves and that's, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out, that there's a difference between submersing yourself in water and having someone else immerse you and, and, and to be immersed and to be raised is to place yourself in the trust of, of another person that in a sense stands in for the way that we are trusting ourselves fully into the hands of Christ. And he's the only one that can raise. We cannot raise ourselves. He's the right. only one that can raise he's us. He's the one who's raising us up. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, through, through faith, you know, th- mm-hmm. so there's the believer's baptism. So I would understand baptism. We're going to see other places where it's connected with faith, but I'm going to understand it to be something that there needs to be a faith response in order for it to be a mm-hmm. biblical, you know, example of what baptism is. Right. That, that there is... We there is an active participation that needs to take place in that. I think so. I think so. And uh, so, any other questions on that Colossians passage? Uh, no, there's a lot in there. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, no. I think it's great. I think it's a pretty powerful passage. I, you know, and it's one we often Colossians two. I don't know that we look at a whole lot, and it may be because of that connection with circumcision that that puts some mm-hmm. people off. Again, I think you see the faith there that that indicates it is a believer's baptism example. Yeah, I, I just think I, I think it's good that to recognize the. Vertical and horizontal aspect sure. of that, you know, because I think that sometimes it's. Uh, I was singing this song the other day. Now he belongs to Jesus. Jesus yeah. belongs to him. You know, I remember singing that uh, growing up when someone got baptized. Sure. But just realize, you know, I think sometimes we miss the part of the communal, community, the community mm-hmm. part of yeah. it. And and I mean, I think that's a piece you and I have talked about. Like even in the songs that yep. we sing, like we sing so individually. I but like we need to sing as a we, and just realizing that even in baptism, there's a we component to this as the community. I of think God. that's right. I think that's right. And and I I do think that there's a way in which we need that corrected in a North American context. Is we we tend to think very individualistically rather than community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this is probably in my in my opinion one of the most powerful passages on baptism in the New Testament. It's Romans chapter 6. A book of Romans, of course, is an incredible book anyway. And and he's leading up to what Paul's talking about here is, the, you know, the problem of sin is kind of where he's been so far. And he's, he's he really spends a lot of chapters problematizing it, really being, mm-hmm. basically saying, you can't save yourself, you know, whether you have the law or whether you don't, you're in trouble. Um, you're, you're in need of salvation. And then he gets to this point in, in Romans 6 where he begins to talk about uh, baptism here. And uh, he talks about the incredible n- nature of grace 
But then he he begins chapter six with this kind of rhetorical question. uh, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You've painted such a good picture of grace, Paul. Isn't it something that I should want more and more of? So shouldn't I just go out and sin all I want? You know, Mm -hmm. what's the point of me uh, trying to repent and have my behavior changed uh, if grace is this wonderful thing? And Paul's response rhetorically is, you know, you know, by no means, uh, f- famously in the King James Version, it says, God forbid, but, but, <laughs> but you know, that, that's really, it, it, it's strong language here. It's, it's meganoita. It's a very strong negation here. No way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't give you some of the other uh, translations that people have tried in the past, but it's a very strong negation. Mm-hmm. By no means, no way should this should this be the case. Nuh-uh. I don't know whatever whatever you think strong. <laughs> got it. We got it. It's strong. <laughs> we are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And, and kind of like the same thing. Don't you remember when you're circumcised? Here, Paul saying, "Don't you remember when you died?" And and he says, "Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death?" So you died to sin if you're if you're follower of Christ, you died to sin. Now, again, I want you, the first thing I want you to notice here, the main point Paul's talking about is the way we respond to grace, but he uses this baptism as an example, and you see that, again, I think he's not imagining anyone who's a follower of Christ who hasn't experienced baptism. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like, if you're a follower of Christ, you're baptized. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a default case, I think. And he, and he says here, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So there's a participation in his death. Now, again, I'll go back and I'll say that that what saves us is Christ's atoning sacrifice on our behalf. But baptism becomes for us a way to participate in that. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this even more clearly here in a minute. There's a really strong word Paul uses in just a moment. But this, even this, there's a particip- some kind of... Um, being baptized into his death. Now, I'm going to say that we've talked about immersion, and we've talked about this idea of being dipped into the water and brought back out, and that's a picture of that idea of death and resurrection. Now, it's not a, it's not an actual death and resurrection, but it is a, an image of the way that Jesus died, was buried, and, and rose on the third day. And this is what Paul points out here. Uh, we were therefore buried with him. See that participation with him again. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So you've died to sin, you know, and your baptism marked this death and this burial and this being raised, this resurrection to new life. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think... Th- at least, at least I will say this. I, I, I want to say more, but at least I will say immersion gives us the best image, physical image of that idea of death, burial, and being raised for new life. If you've seen someone who've been who's been immersed come up out of the water, and it's it's you know it's like a rebirth. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 you know um, being buried and then raised raised to new life. Mm-hmm. So, quick questions on that. We'll go a little bit further here. I'm yeah, not, no, not it's done, just, but. just the the raised from death through the uh, yeah. to new life. You know, I think you and I have had this conversation sure. so forth. You know, where it's like if it as we if we remove anything from it, like is this all figurative? You know, but no, like right. the the resurrection is a is a, a real, real thing. thing. We hope so, right? <laughs> <laughs> By faith, I well, do believe. Yes. Well, you get what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Is is you know we yeah we say 
you know, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that that is that is eternal life. And in fact, this next one, verse five, is where this is where I think it really gets strong because there's a word that Paul uses here that's only used one time in the entire New Testament. Oof. It's used in all kinds of other Greek literature, and and it's used in very strong terms. It's used by Plato. It's used by Aristotle and different different other smart Greek people. But the only time Paul uses this in the New Testament is right here, and it's this idea of being united. Okay, uh, so here's what he says in verse six. Uh, I'm sorry, verse five. For if we have been united with him, the word is sumphotos there. If we've been united with him in, and and this is the the new NIV I'm reading from, in a death like his or in his death is the other way we could say it. Mm-hmm. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So that, that's what we're talking about. So this idea of united with is a very strong term. In fact, there's some indication it comes from the from the mystery religions, and it has to do with being united with the deity in those religions. And mm. I would say, I would say, Paul does not use this this word lightly. Plato uses it in Phaedrus, and it has this idea of 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 a unity with the gods, mm. and. Um, and so, so in that in that treatise, in that discussion he's having with Phaedrus, or the fake discussion, or whatever, we're interested in the Platonic dialogues. The <laughs> reel it in, Tiger. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so, so this idea of united, united with him in his death. So, this is where I say that something really happens at baptism. That's I think Romans six. I, I think there are other places. But I think Romans 6 for me is the passage that most clearly indicates that there is something that becomes effective in, in, in this act of baptism. It's not the act itself, but it is, it is what we are participating. It, it's the death of Jesus. That's what saves me. It's his blood. It's, it's his atoning sacrifice, however you want to say it. That's what saves me because, because the sinless divine human was willing to die on my behalf the the death that i deserved he was willing to do that is what saves me baptism i would say is the is the god-given way that i participate in that death that i that i um i don't know how you would say i unite with him in this death And, and here's what you were saying and if we're united with him like this in his death won't we also certainly be united in his resurrection we want that part to be real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way that Christ really rose from the tomb and really lives a new life as a, you know, as a risen human being um, with, a, with a glorified body, however we understand that, 1 Corinthians 15, um, we want to participate in that. And so I think there's a very real way in which we're participating in his death on the first part of this. Mm-hmm. I would say if we want the second half of this sentence to be real we should want the first half of the sentence to be real right right i think it's it's hard to say well the first part is just some some figure and then the second part is real you like know? you you gotta accept it as literal uh, not literal not yeah, the word I, literal is not the right I, word i mean i don't know how, i don't know how to talk about it really it's it it, it it is a mystery. There's a mystery to it. I don't know exactly how I participate in his death, but again, I trust that God has given me this. And, and I do think it's a picture, mm-hmm. right? I think immersion is a picture of this idea of participating in the death of Jesus so that when I'm raised, I'm, I'm also have this image of what it means to be raised to new life. And, and I trust that, that in this, you know, I'm, I'm 
making effective the work of work of God through Christ in, in me, you know. And so that's that's how I would understand that. But uh, anyway, if we go on, it says this, uh, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. You know, again, not, you said not, literally, not, not, not literally, literally crucified, yeah. but we're crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. And he goes on and he, he gives this kind of um, illustration of what it means to be living in Christ and dying. And that that's good, good passage to look at. But you know, for our purposes today, that's probably all the farther we need to go. Uh, and, and so again, for me, Romans six is probably the strongest um, statement of the effectiveness, the way that baptism is affected through us. If if you really want to dig into this, this word sumphotos, again, you the, can look, the united word. Yeah, that's the united word. You can look at it in Blue Letter Bible, or if you have Logos or some other Bible study software, you can look this up. And it's interesting. I almost I should have quoted some of these. Um, in fact, I might be able to bring up some quickly, but. Um, the, the word study books that, that, again, this is the only time this word's used in the New Testament. But when they give us this, um, you know, the translations of the way we need to understand this, uh, th- there's some really strong statements here. Let me see if I can find this uh, just really quickly. Yeah. I should have done this ahead of time. That's all um, right. That's all right. I just, it, it's really, uh, you know, I wish I spoke Greek. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> Well, well, you don't you don't see again. You, we, we see these words, and we we have certain. We've talked about this: the power of language and so sure. forth, and the, and the limits of language to communicate some things. But you know, to see the word "united" and to know in the Greek, like it is a you very. It's Paul strong uses word. it once. Yeah, it's a very strong word. He's he's like I always say, he does not. Uh, he's not using this accidentally. So this is uh, this is from. Uh, oh goodness! I don't know what resource this is right now. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> here's what they say: grown together, belonging together, united. Uh, those who've been baptized have been united with him in his death. Um, to be united with him is resurrection, like his. It accompanies the meanings of grown together, fused, united, innate, inborn. And here's here's their explanation of it. He focuses upon the unbreakable relationship between believers and Christ's death and resurrection affected by baptism. Mm. Okay, that's a strong, that's yeah. a strong statement, right? That's that's the way. And this is. Let me see if I can find what this resource is. It's the. Uh, uh, hold on. It's the. Um, I wish they would. Exegetical dictionary of the New Testament is is the yeah. that's where that's from. Well, and Paul goes on to talk about being grafted in. You know, what I mean, like sure. is, this, is this? I mean, I, I when I heard the word fuse, uh, fused in that 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 exegetical dictionary had there. You know, Paul goes on to talk about how you've been grafted in. It's a different context, but right. like that we've been grafted into his death and resurrection right. Right. Through, through the act of baptism. Yeah. And so, so again, that's you know that for me is the strongest strongest statement. I want to look at one more passage. This is this is in First Peter, and uh, this is a difficult passage for a number of different reasons. Peter, one of Peter gets fixated on a couple things in his letters. Uh, well, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to work with him. Uh, one is this idea of stones, which we'll talk about another day, maybe. But then the the other one he gets fixated on. He in both First Peter and Second Peter, he uses. Uh, Noah is apparently a big story for him, and mm-hmm. he, he thinks about the flood and, and these kind of things. And so he's talking here about the flood, and he's he's talking about and there's lots of this is the passage that we sometimes call the harrowing of hell, and there's lots of stuff that goes on with this that Jesus went back and preached to the spirits that were disobedient a long time ago, and and, and so 
this makes it a little bit difficult to understand, but verse 19 is where I want to pick up. So, so just trust that he's talking about the ark and, and, and Noah and all this stuff in verse 19, he says, after being made alive, uh, Jesus, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. Okay. There's a lot to unpack. And we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> if you want to hear about that, get, drop us a line. Tell us if you want to hear about that, because I'm not going to talk about it otherwise. Okay. Uh, I did do a really in-depth, re- in graduate school, I did a really re- in-depth re- research paper, 24-page paper, something like on this once upon a, a long time ago, once upon a time, um, uh, talk about the different views. And I do have an opinion. I, I have an opinion about everything. But uh, it goes on and it says this, in it, the ark, right? Mm-hmm. Um only a few people, eight in all. So Noah, Grace, his wife. This is a joke. It's a preacher joke. Noah found Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Anyway, Noah, his wife. That's a bad joke, bro. <laughs> Shem, Ham, and Lapeth, and then their or Japeth, and their and their wives. Um, so eight in all were saved through water. Okay, this is this is what then Peter picks up on. Okay, um, so the ark and, and it's kind of I would say this: it's a weird thing to think about them being saved by water. In what way were they saved by water? Would you say? Uh, well, I think it is weird to say saved through water, isn't it? Yeah. Because I mean, were they were they saved from the sinful man uh, around them? Okay, because because. What did what did Peter say? Remember back in the day of Pentecost, he said, "Save yourself from this corrupt generation." So, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, but that's I mean they they were they were the people and and Noah preached you know according to this to this our understanding and that's what Peter says here you know the whole time that that he was building the ark you know there were these people that he was he was preaching to and warning about this and yet only eight were saved right only mm-hmm. eight were saved through water. Uh, it, it's always odd, and we've talked about this a little bit in other places. But the the salvation, as as um, Paul says, what is for us the the aroma of salvation is is the odor of death for those you know who are rejecting it. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's always this two sided nature to the gospel, I think. And and so the same water that brings destruction upon the disobedient here for God's people. For the righteous here, those who found grace in his in his eyes, um, are buoyed up and are saved by the water. It's it's a it's a weird, you know. I just wanted to spend some time there because we can pass through that very quickly. Mm-hmm. But then Peter picks up on that idea and he says this, and this water, okay, the waters of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Okay, now that's pretty strong. Strong a lot of words there. You know, uh, the connection between some some understanding of salvation is connected to is connected to the the waters of baptism is what he says. Now, he goes on, and this is where I think you you mentioned earlier this idea of an outward sign of an inward change. Mm-hmm. In other words, the the change has already taken place within us, and this is just a way to affirm it or something like that. But he goes on, he says this. I think it comes from this, not the removal of dirt from the body. This isn't a cleansing in the sense of the of what we were talking about earlier, the the um, practice of cleanness and uncleanness. It's not that, but he says a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. Okay, 
So, so this is where I think people are saying, oh, the conscious is what changes. It's not just being washed. And I agree, it's not just being washed. But again, I'll go back and I'll say, it seems that Jesus' commands and God's plan is that this is, is a way that we respond to the work of Christ, the, 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 the salvific work of what Christ has accomplished in his death and his resurrection. And Peter goes on and says, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. So, so his resurrection, you know, if we were baptized into the death of a guy who never raised from the dead, it <laughs> not very effective, it, right? Yeah. But, but it saves you through the resurrection is the idea that, that Jesus' resurrection vindicated him, said who he was, who he claimed to be, and, uh, and, and therefore makes this practice effective, right? Uh, again, not the saving because of the practice, but the practice is a way to um, connect with or uh, be united with, if you want to say it, that which saves. Mm-hmm. And so so that's how I kind of understand <laughs> baptism. Uh, I don't know if you need a summary really quickly, but, but I would say we are saved um, by, and this is something my theology professor would say all the time, we're saved by faith through grace at baptism. It's, it's this... Uh, act in which we are, you know, making this effective in our life. We're united in his death and his resurrection. So any questions on that or? No, I I think it's a really important topic. I do think it is. And, you know, it's, it's, to me, it is sad that it has become controversial. Yeah. In some ways, I think if we focused upon the practice, again, let's make the Bible our our rule of faith and practice. We focus on the practice, uh, you know, of course, you know, I'm guilty of trying to, you know, narrowly understand things as best I can. You know, and make, like I said, sometimes put too fine a point on it. Uh, but I really think to 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 focus upon this God-given way to really uh, give us a, a clear participation and an image of this. You know, really, there's two practices that I always say are central to the Christian faith and are indicative of it. Um, there's baptism and there's the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, there are other things we do that that we pray, we sing praises, just like people did in in the Old Testament times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, these two practices seem to be for us distinct, and it's interesting to me that both of them, God gave us physical emblems, right? Physical mm-hmm. ways to participate, and and this may be part. Of, we just not to not to philosophize too much, but this may be part of the issue. Is we live in a time where we tend to bifurcate the the spiritual and the physical, right? Yep. And so we'll say, well, what did, what what does this physical act? How can it possibly affect my spirit? Mm-hmm. But I, I think again, there's this clear understanding within Scripture that that we are one. We we are we are spiritual bodies, right? We yeah, we are we are we, yeah. Our bodies and our spirits are connected, and, and what we do physically affects us spiritually. And, and I think that he he has given us God has given us these very participative elements. Even in the Old Testament, I think the the, the sacrificial system. You know, was it, it was an act of participation. It was something that would have had, I would say, smells and tastes and and visual mm-hmm. and feel. You know, it, it was it was a full body experience. And I think it's the same with these two 
practices, whatever you want to call them. And I didn't get into that, but uh, ordinances is what some people call them. Some people will call them um, sacraments, which, which indicates the idea of a giving a way by which grace is given. I tend to use the term ordinance. It's something that's been commanded, but, but the, uh, you know, the Lord's supper, it, it affects our senses, right? We, we touch and we we're, it's tactile. It's, these are physical elements, Right, mm-hmm. uh, but we understand that it's something that that um, helps us participate in uh, this saving act of what God has done. You know, it's a way for us to respond to this and to remember it. Uh, do this, Jesus says, as often as you do it in in, in remembrance of me. And uh, you know, so anyway, just <laughs> just to get into that as a, as a conclusion. But I I think part of it is this this time in which we live where we have shove the spiritual up into a different level and and you know there's a we've put a divide <laughs> mm-hmm. between the physical world and the, and the spiritual which doesn't seem to be the the biblical worldview which seems to be one that's much more permeated uh, by you know the the physical is permeated by the spiritual yeah that's great i mean this is what i wanted to talk about you yeah. know i think um Again, I've I've just said this already, but it's so important for us to talk about and to think about those things because I think it is we do live in a time, and you could say this about any time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're not (laughs) unique, we're not special people, but like um, you know, there there does seem to be some times in history where it became more individualistic, and it became we we saw more this separation of the spirit away from uh, the physical world. Um, But that scripture is calling us back to that, you know. And and I'm reading books right now about like the spiritual nature of our body. Like our our body says something too, and so. And, and we live in an age when that that it, the physical body is a huge question right now, and I think we need to yeah. address that. We probably will on this podcast yeah. at some point. But kind of going that there is there's something there's something real that can be said, and there's yeah. something real that can happen physically that affects us spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's beyond beyond just the material. It's, just, it's beyond the material that yeah. it, that it is spiritual as but well. It's and, connected. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a great conversation. I'm Good. sure you know if you got questions. <laughs> I mean, how could you have? A, I mean, we've talked for like an hour. We should answer all your questions. Well, I haven't talked. You've talked. Right. But it's been very good. No, it's good. You know, and I think that's the thing. Like, that's the nature of this podcast is we look at Scripture. What does Scripture say about this? Because I think it can get – we can get lost in church traditions. You can get lost in how, you know – what this person said or what that person said yeah. or you know there's celebrity and, pastors from bygone eras that said this or that yeah. you know and let me say I, I i don't want to demean looking at early church history and trying to understand the way that faithful early christians sometimes we tell the story in a way right that like there was this purity of the of the early new testament and then, yeah. and then it was corrupted and, and i think we have to be careful about that um Certainly, we need to be, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures, again, are going to be center for me. Um, but to understand how these these people who are much closer, still spoke Greek, right, who were much closer to the time, how they interpreted and understood these things are not unimportant. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, th- my preference, I suppose, my bias, if I, if I have to admit it, is to, is to hold these scriptures uh, as, as the central and try to understand them and to admit that, that even the early Christian writers are going to be fallible. They're going to, they're going to be times where they're, um, 
a misunderstanding perhaps or they're guided by other other things but still i think we can listen to their voice and incorporate that as a part of our understanding i'm not trying to demean that right. or belittle it mm-hmm. uh, but i'm i i personally am not going to put those things above what what scripture says in in regard to these things or it's the best i can understand yeah. what you, you got to hold on to something you know what i mean and so it's well yeah yeah you you know holding on to the to, to the bible and, and i do scripture. think they can help us in interpretation i mean i, I look at them i just think as i look at other you know to understand the word some futos i'm going to look at you know other uh, ancient greek literature that kind of thing uh, in order to try and understand put it in historical context absolutely well yeah if you got questions we may answer them or not <laughs> i mean well i'll at least reply well we'll at least reply and you know we might have more episodes about uh, different sure. things but you know if you got some ideas please share them with yeah. us you know this was kind of been in my head that i wanted to talk yeah. about something We've that's had other people ask about yeah it. ask about it and so um yeah thanks for joining us for this we'll be back next tuesday and in the meantime you can go to the website the bible bistro or check us on apple podcast um see past episodes we did an ephesian series and there you can also find a link if you'd like to uh support us and keep the bistro pumping up the content so (laughs) and you get yourself a coffee cup and a t-shirt because they keep keep us fueled with coffee yeah all right thanks so much brian all right see you bye-bye bye